practice owners, do you find yourself trying to be more productive by working longer hours and getting more done? But instead, you get totally burned out. Today, we'll teach you how to optimize and redefine your productivity by doing the opposite of what you've been taught by society. Listen as we share with you ways backed by science to maintain peak performance and totally transform your efficiency. Private practice owners, are you ready to rewrite the rules for your practice so you can have more time off, a great team, and more income while delivering better patient care? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Provider's Edge podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Romback. I'm a provider, an international peak performance keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. My guests and I help providers like you control your practice, control your life, control your future. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. Have you ever felt limited in what you can create in your private practice? And do you ever felt the same way even in your own life? Now, what if this feeling is not really true? It's just something that our head, our brain created. And it's a myth that humans use only 10% of our brain. Magnetic resonance imaging shows us that most of a human brain is active most of the day. And therefore, we can retrain our brain to expand our capacity. And that's why I invited Corey here with us today to speak with you. He is a 40 years veterans consultant, coach, trainer, and entrepreneur. He contributes an unmatched punch of academia, insightfulness in business, savage, and passion for human potential. And he work is founded in his lifelong research and instructions on how individuals and organizations can increase in performance and effectiveness, stretching the bounds of possibility. Corey has supported thousands across five continents, including top-tier athletes, sports teams, entrepreneurs, large associations, and Fortune 500s that include Future Shops, Best Buy, Amgene, Microfocus, PwC. He is an internationally awarded speaker and the host of the HOP Nation podcast. So we are so fortunate to have you here, Corey. Thank you so much for hopping in. Thank you very much, Sabrina. I like that hopping in. Nice ad. <laughs> we connected through a event that both of us were on and then simply just like, wow, there's so much overlapping and similarity. He has helped multiple layers of people from different organizations. And healthcare in itself is very similar. Although when we think about the practice and performance, many people might rely on, oh, what's your expertise in that medical field itself? The decision-making in identifying patient problems and making the best decision. But there's so much more to that, especially in the private practice side. So much more is on high stake, um, running the practice, engaging with your team. So we don't have those high turnover issues. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, part of it is a lot of the technology in that we use is, especially the neurotech, is normally limited to neurosurgeons and occupational therapists and people 
directly in patient care and rehab side. And we wanted to approach it looking at it from a performance side, especially when it comes to cognitive functioning and that. And if we can get people's cognitive functioning better and increase focus and attention and awareness, as well as find early indicators of levels of commitment on team and correlate that with other diagnostics and scales that I've developed in my PhD studies around deliberate practice. So the science of elite performance to find some of those habits and behaviors that might be correlated to some of those outcome variables. And then we can have earlier interventions and um, find powerful ways to drive efficiency and performance without selling our souls in the process. Yes, it's, there's no point of saying we have all these vision, all these goals, but once we get to that goal, we didn't enjoy the journey, you're still going to hit a point to say, now what? What's next? Because I haven't felt good about this journey. I'm just hustling and pushing. And I think most of the time, it doesn't matter how successful you are or people are in a beginning stage, we have excuses that we make up to feel like that's the only way that we can get to our end destination. But even I believe in the Japanese culture, right? There's no such a thing as retirement. There's no such a thing as like the end, because if you hit the end, (laughs) then how are you going to go anywhere? So it's about the process of performing, not just feeling like we're constantly chasing something. And I believe that you probably seen so many different people in different stages from all these science-based research that you have done and then the people that you have helped. What do you think is one of the most common issues that people face today? Well, you know, I'll back up and go, I've had this burning question since the age of about 10 to 12. And it was, can average people from average circumstance achieve elite level performance or success. And we're talking like sustainable success. And we know the answer is yes, because there's enough mental representations of that that we've seen throughout time in history. And then the question becomes, well, if we know that we can, why is it most people never live into those dreams and their full potential? And as much as I've spent tens of thousands of hours researching this, I think it's really, really simple. It comes down to two things. People give up too quickly or too easy. And if we can figure out how to have that resilience and perseverance um, that keeps us in long enough, because, you know, the, you know, just take the pill and you're there is something in movies, right? It does take um, some effort, coaching, and um, awareness. And yes, there is some people that will have a natural starting point that's farther ahead. You might have physical giftings or experiences that allow you to start ahead of someone else. But I don't know about you, but I've seen time and time again where people who didn't start quite as well, ended up exceeding those because I think a lot of times that myth of just natural talent and that can lead to complacency and atrophy 
when we become complacent, we can atrophy. And that's where we can get decline in any areas. And that's right. where we neglect. Can average people who come from normal circumstances achieve elite level performance and sustainable success? The answer is yes. History has proven this time and time again. But even with this knowledge, how come most people never live their dreams and to their full potential? Through tens of thousands of hours of researches on science behind peak performance, Corey found that it comes down to two simple things. People either give up too quickly or too easily when they hit roadblocks when trying to become who they really want to be. We can look at how professional athletes become masters at their skill. They dedicate hours and hours becoming the best at whatever they do, but also prioritize rest and recovery so that they are able to be at their peak performance level doing those practices and events. If you liked today's episode, please share with your family and colleagues who are also healthcare leaders. We don't ask you to pay us anything, but we ask you to pay it forward. And they will appreciate you for thinking of their growth. Now let's get back to the rest of our exciting show. Right. I triggered, but when you were saying that it triggers my mind, when that book, Angela Duckworth, right? Her book, um, Grit. And there's so many stories on how these famous violinists, pianists, athletes continuously to train, to practice the same skill over, over, and over again. Not to say they didn't rest. Yes, they compartmentalized in, I have to rest. I have to keep my physical body healthy. But when I'm concentrated, I'm going to play, I'm going to practice for so many more hours than what people feel like is already done, right? They, you are the master in that field, you shouldn't need to. But if we don't, the funny thing is I used to play piano. I was used to be good and then go into yearly competitions. And so I have not touched a piano for the past 10 years for various reason. And one of my co-worker happened to wanted to get rid of his standing piano. So I said, yes, I'll take it. So got the piano to my house. Now I sit down looking at my music sheet. I'm like, oh, shoot. How do I read this now? And then I literally have to Google it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, got it. Okay. Now it starts to become muscle memory. But all of us are in that point, right? Like we know languages, if you don't practice, you lose that, even though it was your native language. And same thing with any motor and function, doesn't matter how much of a talent you had, if you don't use it, you lose that. And even you do use it, if you don't keep up that proficiency, you're going to still see a decline. And that really go into how we interact with people, right? Like we don't do any self-reflection and we don't talk to people. We don't ask the right question on, are you seeing the same thing as I am? Like if I'm asking you to do something and then people continue to say, yes, okay, we got it. And two weeks later, it's nowhere near what you want them to do. And then is it really our problem or their problem? Or really it's both ways because you didn't explain as well as you wanted to and you didn't ask the right question to get that immediate feedback to see if they got you, right? That's part of performance as communication is a skill to be built. 
Absolutely. And 98% of probably all problems will come down to a communication problem at the end of the day. So communication and relationships are key. One thing you'll find a lot of people who are achievement um, seekers and oriented that way can become very task and achievement oriented to the sacrifice of, you know, the relational component. And the people we're working with, we're saying, look, um, by focusing, you still keep your eye on this goal and the task and the achievement that you're going after. But this becomes a bit of a force multiplier because behind every goal and every task, project or achievement that you're going to go after is people. Like people, those things don't do it themselves. It's people behind that. So you have to have some sort of relational and people orientation. And it's not like you're splitting parts of the pie on that side to bring this in. It's like you're putting air in a hot air balloon and they're both inside the basket. And by focusing on both, both get uplifted. And you mentioned the grit book, and we're talking about a lot of the practice that two other books from great psychologists like Angela Duckworth would be Peak by Anders Ericsson, because the science of elite performance. So this is the professional athlete or the Olympian, not just the great athlete, like the fraction of a percent, the complete outliers that Malcolm Gladwell talked about the 10,000 hour rule. That came from Anders Ericsson's work, um, the book Peak. And, well, it came from his peer-reviewed stuff, but um, that's where that came from. And the other one is from the Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck on mindset and the growth mindset versus fixed mindset, which we, we all have both. But people who are high achievers will um, become more aware quicker when they go to fixed and switch or at least make efforts to switch to the growth mindset quicker and more deliberately as part of their practice to get them to where they are. Because, you know, letting fear and our limiting beliefs or, you know, our egos when we're getting feedback and if we don't feel good about it, that it's an opportunity to grow and develop, um, we're holding ourselves back. and you know, that can lead to regret. And if it's one thing I don't ever want to go to the grave with is regret. <laughs> yes, for sure. The biggest thing we can all give to each other, our patients, our our families, and our team really is hope, right? Like I was just listening to uh, my one of my leadership coach, Darren Hardy, talking about, if you think about all those we're not getting political, but just saying like political campaigns, the most successful one is the slogan, the tap into the hope that we can create for people. And that's really come down to the small scale. How can we create that mindset shift to say we have hope, right? Technically, growth mindset is that you can see hope. You're open to these opportunities. And even from positive psychology side, we say that as that sage part, that prime that we can always see 
see innovation, creativity, activate, right? Like everything that we can do that's possible versus the fixed mindset for us is the 10 category of sabotaging tendencies, right? How come you're constantly judging yourself? How come you're feeling like only the perfect result can be the only result to go? And therefore you have that internal conflict on what's the next step? And I can, I have to fix all these, right? Write my notes perfectly and then worry about I got dinged from the insurance company, right? Or I can't task off my team to analyze the report, to watch the finance, to do X, Y, Z, right? All these controlling tendency, or even the healthcare has a lot of the pleasing tendency too, right? Oh no, I just want to make sure they're all happy. But if there's your cup is never filled, everybody else are supposedly happy, then you still have a void. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's the first thing they tell you, you know, in the safety thing on the plane, you know, if the plane's in danger and that and the oxygen masks come down, if you're worrying about everyone else and trying to get everyone else's masks on, not only are they going to, you know, probably suffer, but you're going to go out before you can help anyone. So you're supposed to put your own you know, oxygen mask on first. And I think it's a good analogy that we need to do that. And, um, you know, the other analogy I like to use when it comes to performance, if we think of F1 racing, it's kind of the epitome of performance. You're going 200 miles an hour. There's a huge team and technology and everything behind it. But one thing they have to do in a race to win is pit stop. And we need to actually take pit stops as well. And in a pit stop, there's three basic things that are done. The first is they refuel. So on a personal level, that's recharging and renewing our energy. We need to build our energy tank up, you know, because our resilience and energy can go down throughout the day and we need to fill up the tank. It's like the battery power and we're just plugging it in the charger like our phones. The other is tires that get worn and we get worn sometimes. So we need to change our tires to be able to maneuver and, you know, not skid and, you know, have a bad accident. And the third thing is we need to fix any damage that's happened along the way that could be holding us back. And, you know, as people, anyone over the age of 20 is coming with some baggage. That's just life and the human condition. And that's okay, because none of us walk on water unless it's frozen. An accurate analogy for how peak performance should look in your life is Formula One racing. It is the epitome of performance. You're going 200 miles per hour and have a huge team and tech helping to orchestrate it all. Not one racer can win without going in for a pit stop. While in a pit stop, there are three main things that the pit crew must do in order for the racer to achieve and maintain peak performance. In a sense, we must make a pit stop in life as well. The first thing the pit crew does is refuel the car. We must recharge and refuel ourselves too. 
We need to build our energy tank up because our resilience and energy decrease throughout the day. This can take the form of physical rest, mental breaks, vacation, etc. The second task is to ensure top performance in the race is replacing the tires. Tires get worn when you are always going. If you don't replace them, the damage will be even greater and burn out. Literally and metaphorically will happen. In our own lives, this can look like weeding out a bad habit or larger stressors and replace it with something better that keeps us performing at our best. Things like outsourcing house cleaning or childcare, cutting out, processing food, reaching for a veggie snack. The third task that a pit crew must do is fix any damages that's happening during the race that is holding the car back from performing at its best. As humans, this can take the form of baggaging or trauma from throughout the life. Seeking therapy, coaches, counselors, or professional help can help us out by putting the pieces back together and not only get us back into the race of life, but make progress to win. So we can just all get over the fact that as much as we want to strive for excellence, that's what we're shooting for, not perfection, right? Maybe we do it perfect time, whatever, but it's striving for excellence consistently. And those three things, I think, are a good analogy, you know, from the F1 to what we need in personal time. And that's not saying, oh, you need to take a one week retreat and go up into some mountainside and sit cross-legged for a week and don't say anything. You can take micro moments of like two minutes in a day in between calls. And rather than just doing other things to just be quiet, get out and literally get air. Like people, the last two years, sometimes just need to get out of the building. I know for me, that's a big thing. Like I'll, I'll take a micro break of two minutes to go outside and just breathe in fresh air and get sunlight, like real light on me. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that, but I'm rambling. So, <laughs> but yes, I mean, it's a good point, right? People get cabin fever when it's like a big storm coming. They stuck at home when people are afraid to go outside or simply just open the window. Feel the nice sun landing on your skin, the breeze that come to you. And I totally agree with the two minute. I call them mini mental vacations, right? You don't have to really plan a huge vacation to feel you need to reset. And yes, that can be something you look forward to have that one big vacation coming up. However, many people also have what? They need a vacation just to have a vacation. Because when they come back, they rush back into work again instead of giving themselves at least 24 hours to do laundry, kind of ease into life and think about what is looking forward for the next thing. I talk to that with my private practice owners all the time. They feel guilty to even go on that vacation and especially holiday time when they come back. And then they're like, I can't believe my whole schedule is so packed. I, I'm not able to even go home to dinner and then have more chart to do, right? Well, it's because 
you haven't created that boundary yet. You haven't really set it up so you can have a vacation and enjoy it and not feeling like guilty for going out there. And when you come back, there's still a systematic way to ease back into real life instead of just like diving into the water again. And something and else. And not use it for an excuse to work during their holidays too. Yes, yes. How many people can actually say you have a email, a way email template to honor yourself and tell the person who's emailing you back saying, unless it's emergent, please contact XYZ, the designated person to handle the situation because all other email will be ignored and delete until I come back, right? You have to set up these things in place. Otherwise, you come back to hundreds and thousands of email. It's just not realistic. And something else that you mentioned about the F1 change is that how effective and efficient they are, right? With doing the gas, the time change. Seconds. Yes. And we know if they're not effective, it's costing the race, right? And then if they don't make that pit stop, things become dangerous. So that's why we have to think about performance science. It's about effectiveness. It's not just productivity of doing more things. It's the right thing that you need to do to keep you sustainable to go into the next level. Exactly. And we saw literally in the last F1 race of the year, one team elected not to pit when others did. And it cost them right near the end. So we might be able to continue on before we start noticing that Tires are getting worn and we're having to slow down. And we know that after 20 minutes, like our cognitive functioning and abilities actually go down. And that's why you hear about um, things and research like by Cal Newport, who did deep work and that, you know, using the Pomodoro technique and every elite performer will absolutely put in the effort, but it's intensity when they're doing it, they are going hard. And if we use professional athletes, because if strategy came from the military, the science of performance comes from sport. And if we use professional athletes as kind of the proxy for elite performance, one thing that they do is when they're on the field or on the court, they are going all out in practice and all out in a game. But as much as they value that as development, they value the rest and recuperation as much as everything else as a driver of performance. But somehow in the corporate world, it's like this badge of honor, you know, to say how many hours and just working without breaking, but that's not how performance works. And the human body can't do that. Like our ability to be effective goes down until we take a break and come back. And literally, you know, Pomodoro technique is, you know, if you go 25 minutes, take five minute break and do nothing. That's not take a break and check your emails and do a bunch of other stuff, right? It's go get tea and coffee and turn your brain off of whatever else. And then, or go 50 minutes and 10 minutes and get back in. But you can only go probably about three, four hours, and then you need an extended break. And that's why you'll see people that do splits. If they're working out, they'll do, 
you know, two or three workouts a day, but at different times. And in work, if we're going to be intense, we need to do that in blocks of time in a huge hack for performance in um, healthcare and corporate um, is to really time block and schedule deliberately the intensity, but then build in, you know, those recharge and buffer times. Right. This is such a great point. So for you guys uh, who own your own practice, uh, one thing that I do with my client is to say, okay, fine. Uh, If patients are booked back to back, it's really hard for you to say, I only have 20 minutes with someone. Right. And then, uh, and then come out with five minutes. I'm not to think about anything just because it's, almost impossible. So even you're not in urgent care, you still push to see at least three patients hour, right? And surgical specialty, yes, we, we have more time. However, the way that you can do time block, one of the trick is sometimes we feel the need to build that patient report, to chat about lives in the beginning and before you even get into it. So you really have to shift how you're engaging with your patient. Uh, I even have a, my Fitbit have the buzzer. So I set it as a buzz after 20 minutes. So I know I need to drive up, right? And then you give yourself that allowance or even to set a 15 minute buzzer. Sometimes if you really get very chatty, some patients have 10 problems when they come in to see you, even though you only have time for one thing. And that's, yes, that is the problem with our structure and how we can optimize it a much different topic than today. But you can still be efficient in how you use those time because you'll become more concentrated on what to talk about. And instead of staring at your computer, half looking at your patient, you also can learn how to be more efficient, make them feel like that you care about each other, right? Um, and then the time block thing can be done on all the time that you do your own admin work, right? You can teach this to your staff too. Well, if you needed to build out those reports and plugging all this data, use a desktop clock, right? Like not even use your phone to set the alarm because your phone going to have ping messages left and right. digital one with the big numbers and that that's lit up so you see it. Yeah. There so you this, if you're not watching this live or watching on video. Um, so I usually have a hexagon block of timer on the desktop version because you just flip it and then immediately turn into your five minutes rest break or the 15 minutes, a half hour of concentrated block. And usually you also needed to figure out when is that optimized time for, for you, right? Maybe it's the first thing in the morning or maybe it's... it's circadian doing, rhythms. Right. Like it's 75% what, or morning and 25% are in the afternoon. So your correct. high intensity or cognitive demanding stuff, like if it's surgery, you would want to make sure that the bulk of the intense stuff is during those high functioning circadian rhythm times that work for you and then the admin and all the other stuff that's kind of mechanical that you can turn your mind off and it's just kind of going that's when you can fill in the other stuff but also the self-care you know we need to reach for the oxygen mask a lot more than we do uh, i mean you're probably better than i am you know it's i think a lot easier to give advice on this than do it ourselves and i'll, I'll throw my hands up. 
first too, because, you know, I know this stuff, but again, I'll mess up just like everyone else. So I can fully understand when talking with clients and having worked with different health authorities and the past two years has been exceptional, I think, for the healthcare profession and some of the emergency services practices as well. It's just been unprecedented. And the mental health side I'm seeing, even with the elite, the Tokyo Olympics, we put these Olympic athletes and elite athletes on a pedestal, I think, sometimes for mindset that they have the strong mindset. But we're seeing it come out more and more, how they're being very open about it. And after the last Tokyo Olympics, I was, well, during the Tokyo Olympics, I was part of you know, some Zoom meetings with the athletes from the village, you know, for some decompress after they'd compete and even before and that on kind of the mental and spiritual side of things. And it was remarkable to see how mentally fatigued and the challenges they have that, you know, I've seen with everyone. And we put even the C-suite in corporate say, oh, they seem to never, you know, sweat and have it all together. And, you know, as an executive coach and dealing, I can tell you, we all have that dirty little secret of our own insecurities or areas where we're working on improving right now. Everyone has it. And we need to be honest with ourselves and don't ever feel that the achievement and success that we're having right now means we don't need to keep evaluating where we're at and, you know, that tank and our own self-care and collateral damage, not just to ourselves, but to some of those around us and really that gratitude and appreciation because no one gets to any level of success without other people being involved. Right. That's such a great point and lead into our next phase is that we ask our speaker to do a quick reflection on your whole 10 area of life and to see where you are and then where you want to go. Anything surprising to you? Anything that you're thinking like, oh, yeah, that that's a good point. (laughs) Yes. You know, I was super happy to see the 10s, but there was a couple eights that stood out. And one was the family life side of things. And the other was the health. And I know that that's because I've been in the privileged position to have business, you know, going well in that. But in that season that has gotten busier, it's meant that there's been some short term sacrifice in those areas. So that then becomes an area where I need to bring more harmony back in there. So those are the two areas that I'll be working on improving here going forward. Awesome. Thank you for sharing your authentic side of where you are in life as well. I know our conversation can go on for a long time. And uh, this definitely is uh, the newer, bigger topic that people all talk about um, performance science and how do we really get into the next phase and not feeling like we're functionally burned out or we're already going down that path. Um, But at the end of the day, really is we want to get to where we need to go, where we actually enjoy life and enjoy our career. So for all the people who wanted to contact you, what's the best way? 
uh, I'm going to do something dangerous. I'm going to give my personal email on the internet here. This is crazy. Um, it's Corey, so C-O-R-E-Y at hop, H-O-P performance.com. And the website's hopperformance.com. You can check out a little more of, about what our company is about. And yeah, and all else fails and you forget that. Sabrina, if they reach out to you, hopefully you can point them in the right direction. And I want to thank you um, while I get a chance. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story, your expertise. You guys can check out the show notes for Corey's contact and additional resources. We appreciate you for spending time on yourself and definitely um, understand that we are unlimited. And if we have the right strategies, the right ways, we can really achieve whatever we want to. It doesn't mean we all have to change the world. I certainly don't want to, and but there are people who can and who want to, and then therefore tap into what Corey said, be persistent and don't quit as early as you thought you need to. And then help finding the right resources, people, the right A team to keep you going. Until next time, bye guys. In today's episode, we discuss ways we can create and maintain key performance in your practice and your life. If any points resonated with you, try integrate one point from below into your life today and your business to see how it can positively affect your productivity. To recap, number one, you have to enjoy the journey you're on. In Japanese culture, there's no such thing as retirement. The philosophy is if you reach the end, how are you going to go anywhere else? An essential part of the process of performing is enjoy the journey. It's not enough to just feel like we're constantly chasing something. When we are working toward our goals, we must stop to enjoy where we're at now without worrying about reaching the end. Number two, don't give up too quickly. Some people just seem to have a natural starting point that's far ahead of everyone else. You might have a physical gift or experiences that allow you to start ahead of someone else. But time and time again, people didn't start quite as well and up exceeding expectations. Their success comes from not giving up too quickly. A big part of their success is they learned resilience and preservation. Think of the effort that top-tier athletes put in practicing the same skill over and over again and how they were rewarded for sticking with their passion. Number three, you need rest. Although persistency and resilience are essential, you need to know when to take a break. Rest is important for your health and preps your mind to do better once you're ready to get back to practicing. Formula One racing might be seen as the epiphany of top-tier performance, but one thing all race car drivers have to do to win a race is a pit stop. We all need pit stops as well to take care of the basics like recharging and renewing our energy. Number four, at the end of the day, nearly all problems in workplace come down to a communication issue, 
people who are achieving seekers can become very task-oriented to the detriment of interpersonal relationships. They might not stop and talk to people and build relationships. Every goal that you are working toward is going to involve working with other people. Tasks don't complete themselves. There are people behind everything. If you master your relationships, maintaining performance toward your goals becomes easier. Number five, learn to accept feedback. We might let fear, our ego, or other limiting beliefs stop us from listening to feedbacks. That's missing an opportunity to grow and develop. You're better prepared to adapt the growth mindset by learning to accept feedback. Once you're tapped into the growth mindset, you now see hope, where you use to see fear and discouragement. Number six, you need to take care of yourself first. As healthcare providers and leaders in the field, we're naturally inclined to help others. But how can we do that if we're not taking care of ourselves first? Think of the safety instructions you get on every airplane. If the oxygen masks calm down, take care of yourself first before helping others. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You're listening to me right now, Azar. You're frustrated by how healthcare practices are running today. I'm with you. I'm looking to change the conversation that we're having in this field. It starts with me, and it starts with you. I want to connect with you and get to know your own struggle or challenges within the healthcare industry. Visit sabrinarombach.com/connect, where you are going to find all of my social media platforms. Feel free to send me a direct message. If you like me, prefer speaking. Then you can record a voice message on the page. So come to sabrinarombach.com/connect, and let's continue the conversation. You know, I think there was there were a lot of things in there. I look at the chart of the desire zone because I was taking on too many things. I was doing too many things outside of my desire zone, and that allowed me to hone things back into the direction where they should be. What were some other things that we our first call that we ever had? There was a quote that you made you gave me from the Dalai Lama, and these are simple things. I did, but it was my gratitude, and it hit me at that time because I'd forgotten to be grateful about what has been built. You know, everybody around me that sees what we're doing, or you know, sees what I'm doing here, my peers and colleagues, and they're very grateful for what I've been doing. They're like, oh, "This is great." You know, would love to be in the position that I'm in, and I forget that, and I forgot it. So that was another one. And then uh, what was some other stuff? I'd have to go from the list. I mean, there's, you know, the two-minute reset stuff that we do. Margin, just do a little bit. And we even remember. So I, you know, been a big meditator for a long time, and, and everyone goes through cycles of this. But I was so dedicated. It was 45 minutes to an hour every single day, probably at night as well. And then in a busy lifestyle, you go, oh, can't do that. Then you start thinking, well, if I can't do 30 minutes or an hour meditation, then why even do it? But you're teaching people to do two-minute meditations, which three two-minute meditations throughout the entire day, you know, six minutes total. In my opinion, is better than doing 45 minutes an hour every other day. It just made more sense, and it was so much easier just to kind of center myself back in and go back at it. So, and one thing now, I'm gonna have to do a plug here, is this. Yeah, and you know I was gonna do this, didn't you? <laughs> this clock right here has been. You had. I don't know if yours is next to you or not, but you you held this up for me one day. 
And we're talking about time blocking, yes, time blocking and everything else. I said, what is that? So I bought it on Amazon and it, you know, it has the clock and the five and 10, you know, 15 minutes and so forth. It is awesome. And so when I started using this thing, I started realizing like, oh my gosh, when, I, when I'm actually tracking my time, I've got a lot of it. When I'm not tracking my time, even if you take a five minute break to surf the internet, it's 15, 20 minutes later, the time goes fast. So it's been fan. I can get so much stuff done in a 15 minute period. It's crazy. So come to sabrinarunback.com forward slash connect and let's continue the conversation.